All right, good morning to you. Tonight in Vancouver, there will be another anti-racism rally. A peaceful rally earlier in the city attracted 3,000 people. Another big crowd expected tonight. Of course, it all follows the death of George Floyd, the black man who died under the knee of a white police officer in Minneapolis, setting off protests and turmoil as well across America and demonstrations around the world. One of the key issues in these events, of course, is police misconduct, police oversight, and are police properly trained, not only in the United States, but here in our own country as well. One of our political leaders in Canada who's been speaking out about that is federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, and I'm very pleased to welcome him to the show. Thanks for coming on. Thank you so much for having me on the show. Yeah, I appreciate it. What is the main message you want to get out on, on these issues? Well, one is that it's not enough to just say the pretty words. We heard from the Prime Minister, I heard from the Deputy Prime Minister, all saying they acknowledge that there's systemic racism, but that's not good enough, especially from people who are in power. The Prime Minister, Prime Minister Trudeau, and, and the Liberal government are in a position to change things, and I'm pushing them to say, let's at least stop the racial profiling that exists at the federal level. RCMP, CBSA, CSIS, all are governed by the federal government. We can immediately put in place legislation that bans the arbitrary detention of people based on the color of their skin, a practice which we know is ongoing at all levels of policing. And many uh, examples still exist in Toronto, in Vancouver, and in other jurisdictions. We've seen the evidence. So that's one. The other is the over-incarceration of Black and Indigenous people. We can change the sentencing stipulations in the criminal justice code, also federal, and ensure that there are other alternatives, community sentences for nonviolent offenses. There doesn't need to be jail time. There's many ways for us to ensure that people are not being incarcerated, particularly when we know it's impacting racialized people, indigenous and black people more. Okay, lots lots to unpack there. When, I know one of the other issues you're, you've been speaking out about is de-escalation when the police interact with a suspect. We, we've seen yes. lots of uh, investigations underway in our own province right now by the Independent Investigations Office. Everybody has got a, a video camera in their hip pocket these days with their phone, so a lot of these events are being recorded. Um, what are your thoughts on that, on, on de-escalation when, when police are, are dealing with a, a suspect? Well, that, that's exactly it. There, there, is, there is certainly the training and the strategies out there that exist, that if there is a conflict, what we're seeing is the exact opposite approach. Instead of finding ways to de-escalate and work down the tension, we see police come into scenarios that are already tense and then increase that tension. And then naturally, when you increase the volatility of a conflict, there's going to be a damaging outcome. Yeah. And so what we need to see is tactics around de-escalation and also looking at maybe the police aren't the right people to respond. When we were talking about the wellness check, where the RCMP went to do a wellness check and ended up killing the person that they were doing a wellness check, Maybe it's not the right person to be sending. Maybe if someone's not feeling well, if there's mental health concerns, then a mental health worker should be sent, not a police officer who can then, especially they, when they don't have the right training to de-escalate or to do a proper wellness check, maybe they're not the right people that we should be prioritizing with our funding and with, our, with who should be responding to these problems. Okay, police officers in the country are pushing back against some of your comments and saying that they're already... Uh, comprehensively trained. There's already comprehensive oversight. Uh, have a listen to this, Mr. Singh. I want to play this for you. This sure. is from uh, this is from yesterday's show. I had uh, Tom Stamatakis on the show. He is the president of the Canadian Police Association, so he represents police officers across Canada. 
He's a former uh, long-serving police officer in Vancouver, former former president of the Police Officers Union in Vancouver. We talked about the, the de-escalation issue on the show yesterday, and I, I want you to listen to what he said here. Here he is from yesterday. I don't know how much Jagmeet Singh knows about police training in the country of Canada, and it's unfortunate that in this very tragic uh, situation, you know, we've got people sort of jumping on board and, making all kinds of uninformed, in my view, uninformed statements about policing in this country. Having said that, what, I mean... What was, what was, you know, uninform- hearing, what was uninformed about what he said there? What was uninformed about what he said? Well, I'll get to that. But I, I think the important thing I want to acknowledge is, you know, we are hearing from people right across the country that they have concerns, and we need to be listening to that and responding to it. And if we can do better, we need to do better. But the fact is that police training in this country includes a significant amount of de-escalation training, a significant amount of training around uh, trying to avoid, uh, uh, you know, your, your own biases influencing how you interact with different people in the community. All right. Tom Stamatakis, Police Association of Canada on yesterday's show. Jagmeet Singh, what do you say to that? Well, I was, uh, I mean, in some cases, he might be able to say that to someone else, but I, I did almost a decade of work as a, as a lawyer in the criminal justice field, and it's not the case uh, that the police are using de-escalation, and we see many times that instead uh, police escalate tensions. They don't work down the situation, and there needs to be something done. And simply but saying said, that we have enough training trained. is he not said good enough. He said they're trained in de-escalation techniques. Are you, are you saying well, Clearly that? they're not trained enough, and clearly mm-hmm. it's not working. And clearly the evidence has shown the contrary. So just because someone gets training, maybe it's not enough. And clearly the culture is not one where it is something that is practiced enough. We're not seeing that. We're seeing the opposite, and we're seeing more and more examples of overuse of force. And what we need to do is also consider police aren't the right response sometimes. Like if someone is, is, is not feeling well, and there is an ongoing culture of, of, of conflict between racialized people, indigenous people, black people, and the police. Maybe the police aren't the right people to respond if someone's not feeling well, and maybe it should be a healthcare response. I, mean, I think we should really look at what are our priorities if we want to help people out. The police aren't the right response all the time. And, and right now, it seems to have been over the past years and decades that we've thought police are the ones to respond to a problem. But in many cases, I've dealt with Many cases where a family is worried about someone, a loved one, who's having a mental health breakdown, they call the police and they expressly say, we don't want this person arrested, we just need help. And then their loved one gets arrested. And that's not the goal. The family is saying, we know this person has a mental health problem, we need help. And police aren't the right people to respond to that. And so I think we really need to take a hard look at the way we've put the police as the first responders of choice. In many cases, they shouldn't be the ones responding. Speaking to federal NDP leader Jagmeet Singh, you touched briefly on issues around racial profiling, carding, police interacting with, with people who are black-skinned, brown-skinned, for, uh, indigenous people in our country. Uh, I want Have a listen to this. We talked about that yesterday with Tom Stamatakis on the show, too. And I, I asked him about your views on, on carding, for example, which is essentially the police stopping people based on their, their, their appearance, their skin color. And here's, here's briefly what he said on that. The whole carding issue has been well examined. There have been numerous reports written about it. Uh, the, the practice of carding in this country has is effectively been prohibited. Okay. He says carding, or I guess racial profiling, is prohibited in Canada. Is that your understanding? 
Uh, no, not at all. In fact, uh, the reality is, though there's a constitution which says that one should not be arbitrarily detained, that still happens. People get arbi- arbitrarily detained on a regular basis. In addition, we're not just talking about a uh, hypothesis or potential. We've got the raw evidence. There was a very thorough analysis of the stops that Toronto police made, and they showed very clearly that despite being a small percentage of the population, black people were stopped more often. And these are people that had no charges laid. There was no grounds for the stop, simply being stopped and then information obtained because of the call of their skin. That is an ongoing practice. I was at the provincial level before I became a federal leader, and I pushed for some changes that were a step forward in the right direction towards ending the practice. But the practice is by no means ended. And there's lots of evidence to point out that people are stopped regularly simply because of the way they look without any objective grounds or reasonable grounds for the stop. What exactly precisely would you like to see changed? Because when you, the, when you speak to the police in the country, and as I spoke to the, the one of the top police officers there yesterday on the show, he said, look, we've already got comprehensive training of police officers in Canada. They are answerable to multiple levels of oversight and accountability, including municipal police forwards. And, and I think probably most importantly, independent civilian oversight bodies that can independently investigate allegations of police misconduct like we have here in British Columbia, for example. So he is saying the training's there, the oversight is already there. So what exactly do you want to see changed? Well, I'd say to, to anyone who says that, look at the actual scenario on the ground. Look, look what's going on, on the ground. We know that Indigenous people are over-policed and over-arrested and over-represented in jails. We know that Black people are similarly over-policed and over-arrested. So the evidence just doesn't pan out when, when someone makes that claim. The evidence doesn't back that up. So I'd say... But, but are, you say, to, are you saying that black people or indigenous people um, are being arrested and incarcerated when they, uh, when they have not, when they're innocent? Well, I'm saying that they are, they're over-policed and over-incarcerated. So that means that there's, there's an approach that particularly puts them into the, the view or the, the focus of police unfairly and unjustly. And then when someone has increased interaction with anyone, if you have more police patrolling a particular community, there's going to be more arrests, not because there's more crime. You just have more people arresting people because of the way they look. Yeah. And then there's more likely that person will end up in jail. Well, uh, what that's you, what's happening. What do you think of the reaction of the federal government on this and, and the leadership of Prime Minister uh, Justin Trudeau on, on this file? Well, again, the, the Liberal government has said a lot of the right words. The Prime Minister, yeah. Prime Minister Trudeau, said nice words, but hasn't actually backed it up with action. We can actually immediately change laws. There's criminal justice that we can change. It's actually fully within the federal jurisdiction to stop the over-incarceration by replacing sentences that require someone to go to jail for nonviolent offenses, replace those with community sentences, replace those with focus on rehabilitation and ways to reincorporate someone into society instead of providing a, a sentence structure which encourages more and more time in jail. We can change that. We can also ensure that there is clear legislation and policy changes that ban the arbitrary stops that happen for people who are Indigenous and Black. We can stop that. So the Liberal government and the Prime Minister have said some nice words, but they haven't backed it up with real action. And that's what I'm calling for, that concrete policy change. People are frustrated. They've had enough. And people are taking to the streets because they're frustrated. Let's bring in the real change. Let's not just say pretty words as the Prime Minister and the Liberal government have done. I'm pushing for real, concrete policy changes. I really appreciate your time today, and thank you for coming on the show. Thanks so much. It was my pleasure. All right. Welcome back. This is Mike Smith. This uh, pandemic has been brutal on a lot of industries in our country and in our province and in our city, but one of the sectors that has really been 
hit the hardest are downtown Vancouver's iconic nightclubs. Uh, used to be packed every night, uh, now shut down, and no hope really they're going to open in the very near future. Uh, hopes that they will open up uh, longer term, of course, but man, it is bleak for these nightclubs in the city of Vancouver right now. Also, think about all those large events where there's concerts and shows and, and dance music events. Those have all been shut down as well. Let's focus on that in this segment of the show right now. My guest is Alvaro Prol. He is the owner of Blueprint Events. And he and his partner own uh, nightclubs and other venues and put on a lot of big events in the city. I'm very pleased to welcome him. Alvaro, thanks a lot for coming on. Uh, good morning. Thank you, Mike. appreciate uh, you having me. Yeah, I appreciate it. I appreciate you being here. I was just checking out your um, your curriculum vitae uh, online here. And, man, you've done a lot of stuff in your career here in Canada and in, in Vancouver. How did you get involved in this with Blueprint? And what kind of work do you guys do over there? Okay. Uh, yeah, I guess, well, I me and my partner founded Blueprint when I was just a very young man. Like I pretty much have done this, been in this career my pretty much my my whole adult life from eighteen to forty two. Now we're we're turning twenty four. This we were going to celebrate our twenty four year anniversary this year um, of our company. So it's pretty much uh, at a young age, uh, I immigrated here from Argentina when I was 13 with my family. And at a young age, I, I, I got very passionate with music and I somehow ended up uh, finding my calling. And and here we are 24 years later, have built a, a great company with a lot of different offerings and entertainment, not only events and concerts. We do have some pubs and, and many, many things. We do festivals that we do now uh, 24 years later. Yeah, I was taking a look at some of the big events that you've run over the years, Alvaro, and I, I, you know, I know you specialize in a lot of electronic music, and I'm an old guy, so I'm not totally hip to it, but I do know Dead Mouse Five. I know that that group, <laughs> and uh, you put on a big, you put on a famous Dead Mouse Five show, I believe, at one point, right? Well, I put many. So we we, we do uh, one, one, when it comes to dance music, we we do the largest uh, winter event in Canada, uh, BC Place, every winter called Contact. Uh, right. But even though we we started with dance music, we've we've over the many many years we moved to many many different types of types of music, and we also do fade in the park in Surrey, which is it's not dance music; it's a mix of many many different things, from urban music to you know rap, R and B, and dance music. So we pretty much I would say specialize in in, in culture, you know what I mean, and all, all right, kinds. Sure. You know, we, you know our venues aren't are open to many, many different groups of promoters that we work with. And, and, uh, we, we empower different, many cultures besides just the, yeah. what's gotten us here and, and some of our own history, you know? Oh, I think it's awesome what you've accomplished with your company and, and it, the scene in Vancouver, I know it was very vibrant. Um, but let's yeah. talk, let's talk about the dark times we're going through here now that this pandemic, what kind of impact has it had on your business? Well, it's brought us to a complete dead stop. You know, yeah, and yeah. N not even a, a trickle. There, there is no events. There is no no venues. There is no festivals. There is no glimmer of hope that we can see yet. You know, and 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 for us, it's, you know, coming from a city where I came from, Buenos Aires, a massive city, very vibrant. You know, I've been kind of almost fighting this no fun city tag of Vancouver's had for so long. You know, and and it felt like we were coming. We're coming. Granville was revitalizing finally, and. And to go to Granville now and you see what's going on in Granville now, you're like, wow, how sad all, all the progress we've done and all the all the energy that's gone from us and many, many, many curators and, and people that put energy into bringing life into the city. It's, it's decimated. Yeah. And, 
be interesting to see how we can connect those dots again. Yeah, yeah no, it is terrible. I feel for you and, and all the people that you employ. Speaking to Alvaro Prohl, he's the owner of Blueprint Events. He runs a lot of big events in the city and some nightclubs and pubs. Um, how many people, like, or do you think there are some businesses will survive this? Like, I'm just wondering about some of these nightclubs that have been shuttered and I don't know how you hang on in a situation yeah, like that. Do you think some of them hard. go under? Yeah. yeah, I think I think we, we predict a major uh, major uh, problem there, and many people not being able to come back. We really need the government's done some things to help us, but yeah. it's just not enough. The government needs to look at culture and this cultural hubs and 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 make sure that we can you know go down and help us and everybody else in our position because you know there's three month uh at least support uh, rent support it's not enough for us who knows how long we're going to be out uh the 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 the, the government subsidies for 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 our employees it's just not enough what we don't want to let go of people and, and 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 those deadlines are all coming you know these are all looming dates that are coming and we, we need real leadership from the government to Make sure we don't slip back into that no fun zone that you know, and 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 fumigate all these fires and energy that 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 that, that people like in our group yeah. and many others bring to the city. You know, we really need them to put more focus on culture and find a way to help us. You know, and 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 help help culture. And that's the the nineteen year old act that's getting broken at at Fortune for the first time. And or, or, or whatever group that's, that's, that's cultivating their culture that's important for the LGBTQ community or, 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 right. or many communities that we serve uh, in our venues and in our company. And um, so we really need some leadership from government, major leadership. Yeah. To, how, many, yeah. how many people have uh, lost your jobs at, at the companies that you own with, with your partners? We, we, we had to let go of 600 people. Oh, man. Oh, yeah. Wow. So we, we, we had to let go of 600 people, uh, unfortunately, that we hope to call back. We were able to open our colony bars, um, which we've, we started to call back people there. And, and, and it's great, I guess. You know, the, the people story is the saddest one for us. You know, we really motivated by building a family out here and, and building a huge community inside and out but so that that was that was a tough day uh, that that march 17th day when we had to to do that was was heartbreaking some yeah. people have been with us for decades you know they've been with us for the whole ride and and it, it, it's tough because they they are blueprint just as much as i am you know we're very inclusive in our company you know and it was oh, it was it was a tough day yeah. and and again we just hope to 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 be able to bring people back and and have the government find a way to support these particular businesses that are getting uh, hurt above and beyond many others, everyone's feeling it. There's not an individual that's not, you know, getting hit with this uh, situation. And yeah. I'm, I'm very aware well, of that. I mean, it, I think it's obvious that you guys have been disproportionately hammered here. I mean, this you guys are really, really taking the brunt of this thing, this thing for sure. And, you know, when you listen to the government and, and the help and the programs that they have rolled out, uh, you mentioned a couple of them with the the 75% pay subsidy and and some of the programs to help with rent for example for people who are trying to hang on if they're if they're a tenant and pay their rent it, i know there's problems with some of these programs too though right like i know some people have they've got landlords that have not applied for the money so 100% yes yeah. yes tell, yeah. tell me a little I, bit I, about I, that yeah i i think uh yeah it's landlords don't necessarily have to play ball with you right and i think yeah. i think uh 
it's it's tough. I know I know I know for us it's it's a looming thing. And even even when it ends, you know, you still have to now go on and have a conversation again. And and we don't know. Again, there is no date for us or 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 window. We were the right. first ones to close, and we'll be the last ones to open. Yes. And uh, but yet restaurants are able to uh, do business at 50 percent. They they need to let us, our industry, innovate within ourselves. They need to empower us. They need to to work with us and let us do what we do well, which is operate at a high level. And, and well, we, how, how can that be done? Do you think that you guys can maybe would you like to see the, this your industry open up again? Like, is that is it possible to even run a nightclub or to run a big event right now, though? I, I, I think I think there's always different concepts. You know, are we going to do 25,000 people in Surrey right now? No, that's not going to happen for a long time. We're, we're not naive to that. But can we run an, uh, a celebrity set 50% cap? Probably yes. Why? Because this is what we do. We operate and we operate within the regulations of this government. And we've done it for decades and in festivals and in venues. And we just need to be able to work with government closer and or they need to come in. And, and talk to our field a little more and find a way to extend our field and our, the support to us longer than it is right now because we need it. We cannot have this town come back and, and the only right. person that's going to be available, people will be able to go see the symphony or whatever. No, we need other cultures to be highlighted in this city and the venues that we serve are the ones that help these cultures go right. forward and open up and, and showcase their, their music and their arts and culture and all these things. We can't... We cannot be no fun city again. Like we, we, it was, you know, coming, being here and being doing what I've done for so long has been such a struggle. We're such a conservative city. Uh, you know, even though government supports, I, I do believe that they need to go down to the micro of the cultures that are really here, not yeah. just, you know, what they think music culture in BC is, which is not Michael Bublé and Brian Adams. It's a lot of other things, you know, it's a really broad uh, a scope of individuals we need to. We need to make sure that we can keep in our city and keep engaged and and, f- and feed those cultures. Alvaro, I hope there are better days ahead for you. Thank you for very much for coming on. I appreciate you taking the time. Thank okay. you. All right. Welcome back to the show. Mike Smith here with you. My guest is Paul Stolen. He is a Vancouver nightclub owner. He's the president of Safe and Sound Entertainment. And he's also the president of the Hospitality Vancouver Association. I'm very pleased to welcome him. Hi. Mike, how are you? I'm Thanks good, Paul. for having me. Thank you for coming on. We're talking about the uh, downtown Vancouver nightclub scene and how it's been shut down. And I know you guys are really suffering through this. How many club? Which clubs do you own in the city? So our group, we've got uh, Barnon Nightclub uh, in Yale Town, which has been around for um, almost twenty-eight years now. And uh, just down the road in uh, in Yale Town on Hamilton Street, we have a small lounge um, that kind of turns into a club later at night called Hello Goodbye. And then uh, we also have Kiss and Tell nightclub located at Thurlow and Davy, um, which is which is our newest venue, um, and then um, then a restaurant, um, a management contract for the Opus Bar, the Opus Hotel, as well as oh, yeah. Lapintola Restaurant. So right, and what is shut down and what's open right now? They're all shut down. They're so all every, shut everything, down. Wow. everything's shut down. So wow. we are we are looking at uh, potentially um, you know opening with a limited capacity at Hello Goodbye. You know, hopefully in a month or within the month, um, but we just have to see what that looks like. And I mean, basically, um, you know, there's no like pure nightclubs, which is what Bar None is and Kiss and Tell and so many other clubs in Vancouver. Um, you know, there's no real um, clear pathway in terms no. of opening. Yeah. 
So, yeah, there's a lot of uncertainty around it. And I think, um, you know, there's a lot of people in our sector that's, they're nervous, obviously. And, you know, we're hearing stories from other places that have opened, like a lot of restaurants have opened, um, you know, some pubs have opened with limited capacity. And, you know, some are seeing a little bit of success, um, you know, but uh, generally speaking, I think it's fairly, it's still fairly quiet out there. Right. So, so when you take a look, I just got off the, just finished talking to Alvaro Prol from uh, Blueprint. Oh, yeah blueprint events yeah. and I, I really feel for everybody in the sector that have been uh, decimated by this this is it's terrible and you know he was wondering can, can there be a, a glimmer of hope and and he mentioned for example could uh, a nightclub like uh, celebrities in Vancouver which is a, a big dance club um, of course shut down and he was wondering could something like that reopen maybe with a 50% capacity but is that tough to do if you have a if you have a dance floor and you're trying to maintain physical distancing, right? I mean, is this, yes, is this the that, toughest part? It is. It really yeah. is. I think it's impossible to open. Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, I think a club like Celebrities and a club like Bar None that just, you know, that are pure nightclubs, um, you know, it, it's going to be really tough to do. Like Hello Goodbye, for example, is a much smaller, smaller room. So we can, you know, we can create more of a lounge environment. But um yeah, in terms of all the different all the different pure nightclubs in the city, you know, there's really no no certain future. I think you know it's um, it's fairly scary. I think everybody's doing a good job in BC, and you know the number of active cases I think is looking promising. And sure. you know we have to, you know, I think nightclubs. You know, I, I think there's always going to be a need for nightclubs. Um, sure. You know, in Vancouver, and there's a there's quite a history of nightclubs in Vancouver, and. You know, I think in terms of just getting through this, um, you know, some people, one school of thought is that, you know, clubs aren't going to go come back until everybody's vaccinated. Um, some people think that uh, it's going to, they're going to open sooner. But I think, you know, what we're, you know, what we're looking for is just, um, you know, some more assistance and an extension of all the programs that have been rolled out by the federal government. Right. You know, hopefully some of those programs can be extended because you know, paying paying even twenty five percent of rent of of gross rent, which is what we're on to now, um, with the places where whose landlords have accepted and applied for the Secra program with yes. um, with the federal government, you know that covers us until the end of June, right? So I think um, you know the talk of clubs opening in the early fall, which is very very optimistic, you yes. know, ranging to clubs opening in twenty twenty one. You know, that's a long way away. That's three to six months. And uh, if it goes beyond that, um, you know, it's going to be very, it's going to be impossible. Right. So, right. A, a lot of the uh, the goals of these government programs is as they as they have been laid out is to throw a lifeline to businesses so they can survive, just keep their heads above water until this whole nightmare is is beyond us. Your industry, I, I thought Alvaro said it very well earlier when he said, you guys were the first to shut down and you'll be the last to reopen, tragically and uh, sadly. Um, the programs, like, is that the goal now, just basically to survive until you can get you can reopen again? Yeah. We've got we a minute, we got a minute left. Yeah, we basically, we had to put all of our businesses to sleep, like everybody, like every other operator in, in the city. And, you know, we just don't know how long that's going to, have to last and i think there's a few other you know we just need some extensions um on this we need to work with the provincial health um health team in terms of getting a um you know start talking about how we can open um yeah. you know there's some alternative um solutions as well like converting some nightclub space you know into 
into a different business model um, temporarily until the until everything clears up. Um, you know, there's a lot of different things. That, I mean, there's not a lot of, sorry, I shouldn't say that. There's not a lot of solutions, but there are a few solutions that I think we just need um, some certainty on. And, okay. um, you know, our industry, you know, you look at live music venues, nightclubs, pubs, um, liquor primary licenses in Vancouver, you know, yeah. they represent 10,000 jobs and wow. 750 million in revenue. So we're talking about a substantial sector right. that contributes directly to the local okay. economy, but also... I hope the there's... I, I, I got to jump in there, Paul. I hope there are better days ahead for you. Thank you for being on the show today. All right, welcome back to the show. Very pleased to welcome back to the program John Horgan, the Premier of British Columbia. Premier, thank you very much for coming on. Thanks for having me on, Mike. Yeah, I appreciate it a lot. I just replayed an interview I did with uh, Liberal leader Andrew Wilkinson. And as, as you know, he had been calling for possibly relaxing some of the pandemic restrictions in parts of the province where the transmission rates of the virus are low. So like Vancouver Island and nor- northern British Columbia. What do you say to him? Is that a good idea, do you think? Well, I appreciate the suggestion. And there has been you know, input from a whole bunch of places, opposition members, business leaders, labor leaders. Everyone's got a point of view, and I welcome that. Uh, but I, I think I'll leave uh, my counsel, my final counsel, to Dr. Henry and, and Minister Dix. And, and they've advised that uh, the virus is everywhere. It's on Vancouver Island. It's in the north. It's in the interior. Uh, we still have outbreaks in the lower mainland and Fraser and Vancouver Coastal Health. Uh, and I, I spoke yesterday, uh, Mike, with I'm, I'm just a series of conference calls these days, over 104 different communities across the province, uh, mayors, councillors. And uh, there still is anxiety in the north. There still is anxiety yeah. on the island. And so I think we're on the right track. Uh, I appreciate the, the advice. Uh, but people can go shopping. The phase two, uh, our, our second stage of the reopening uh, is going well. And I, and I think uh, another incubation period, I think is Dr. Henry's suggestion, another week, maybe two, and we'll be in a better position to go to phase three. But uh, I appreciate the suggestion. I think we're on the right track, though. Okay. That said, there's a lot of people who feel like the, the virus appears to be largely under control, it seems, especially in a lot of parts of the province, and they, and they want to get back to normal. And you did an announcement this week, or you talked a little bit about tourism in British Columbia, which is really yep. such an important industry, and it's just been absolutely hammered. And you talked about your hope that maybe we can have a, a record-breaking summer of domestic tourism, get people out enjoying our natural splendor in our beautiful province. Do you, do you anticipate that that could happen uh, starting this month, if if we get to phase three, is that your hope? Well, my hope is that as we get closer to Canada Day, we're in a position to say that uh, you know the non-essential travel restriction that we we've, we've encouraged people to follow uh, can be lifted. And and Dr. Right. Henry and I have gone around this uh, with Adrian uh, several times. Uh, the data in the north on the island and the interior looks really solid, uh, but uh, we're not out of the woods yet. And and as with the the restart, uh, as soon as I say we're going to do something, immediately people assume it's happening. And I really want to caution, Mike, that we are still very much in a pandemic. Uh, There are travel restrictions in place at the federal level. So in terms of tourism opportunities in the north or on the island or in the interior, all the borders are open. It's going to be domestic travel and domestic travel only. We've always said that Albertans and people from Saskatchewan and anyone who wants to drive across the country to BC. We have mobility rights here. You're welcome to do that, but bring your own gear, bring your own food, and don't put more strains on local communities. And as we get more confident and this anxiety that I talked about starts to lessen, and we're seeing that every day, I think we'll be in a good, a good place. We'll have a, 
a Destination BC ad campaign that will be the kick kickoff of the tourism season. And we hope to do that as quickly as possible. Absolutely. Speaking to Premier John Horgan, let me ask you about the, the historic days w- that we're living through right now and what we've witnessed south of the border uh, in the aftermath mm. of the, de- the death of George Floyd. And I know you, I know you feel strongly about these issues. Um, we've seen rallies. We've seen the, the streets in America flooded. We've seen large, uh, some large demonstrations in, in Canada as well, including, including in Vancouver. I spoke earlier today on the show to uh, your federal counterpart, federal NDP leader uh, Jagmeet Singh, at least from uh, your political party's counterpart, and he said that he believes that there should be more vigorous training of police officers. There should be stricter oversight of police officers to prevent against misconduct. Do you agree with him? Do you think we need better training for cops? Well, we we beefed up when we uh, came to government, the Independent Investigations Office, to to give uh, comfort to not just the public, but to law enforcement as well. Uh, I think uh, both sides of this equation need to have comfort that there's independent oversight to make sure that if allegations are made, they're proved to be founded or unfounded. And so that uh, on on the uh, enforcement side, I think we're, we're taking steps in the right direction. And we can always improve in terms of our education of how we interact with people. We've seen, Mike, as you know, uh, the diminishment of stigma around mental health, which means more people are talking about mental health, more people are trying to figure out, how do I manage someone if they're having an episode? Do I have the experience uh, if I'm law enforcement, if I'm a, a paramedic or a firefighter? First responders need to always be updating their skills. And so in that sense, I agree uh, with Jagmeet Singh. But broadly speaking, I believe that we need a national discussion and dialogue about racism, about hate, and about how it's so counter to what we have become as a nation and as a province. We're diverse, we're multicultural, we're inclusive, and we always need to be talking about that. And I raised it with the Prime Minister and my colleagues yesterday, uh, unanimity on that question, and that's the good news. There are more people that want to talk about uh, embracing our inclusivity rather than those that want to push people to the ground. But I tell you, man, when when I see young people, I saw on my video screen the other day, uh, a woman in a walker, an Asian woman, someone walked by her, turned around, came back and tripped her and then kept on yeah. walking. Yes. And the sad part was there was someone standing there watching it that did nothing. We all have a responsibility to speak out when we see stupidity. Oh, OK, there will be a lot of people speaking out tonight at another rally in Vancouver, an anti-racism rally. We saw one the other day that had 3000 people in, in Vancouver. Could be another large crowd tonight. Mm-hmm. Are, are you cool with that during this pandemic with large crowds gathering like that? I prefer it not happen, Mike. Uh, oh. I prefer that people find different ways to express their disappointment, their, their, their anger at uh, what's going on, not just in the United States, but here in Canada. Uh, but I also know that uh, we have a history of, uh, of gathering and, and protest in B.C., and it's largely been uh, peaceful. And I'm, I'm, I'm appealing to people if they must come uh, to join in a rally, that they do so with the view of, of peace and, and the, the objective that the, the rally is for, and that is to draw awareness to the inclusivity of our communities. Wear a mask, stay a distance if you can. Uh, uh, that's my appeal. But I, certainly would I prefer people stay home at, at, at this time? Absolutely. Premier, we just have one minute left. You, you mentioned you were on a conference call with, uh, with other first ministers. That you, there's a lot of these conference calls these yeah. days with the prime minister. Yeah. Uh, the prime minister has announced more funding for uh, transit, child care. And I guess one of the things that you were keen on is sick leave. What's the latest on that? Yeah, I was really pleased. Uh, we were. I've been banging away on a few issues uh, at, at these conference calls we have regular every week. 
closing our borders, really important yeah. in the early days. And you saw from Dr. Henry's uh, modeling yesterday that the biggest challenge we had in British Columbia was not visitors from abroad. It was visitors from Washington State in the early days. And so the border issues were very important. The pre- Prime Minister listened uh, we put in place provisions with uh, our uh, uh, government employees working with federal employees to put quarantine processes in place. On the sick leave, it took a while for that to pick up some speed, but I've got support across the country on that one as well, and I'm very grateful that the federal government's going to pick up the tab. This is something we cannot put on the backs of businesses that are coming out from under a couple of months of no revenue, and, and I'm grateful to hear that. But, uh, but there's always more we can do. Uh, but these, these calls, I tell you, it's become... Uh, it's become the norm now. And I, as yeah. I said, I talked to a whole bunch of municipal leaders yesterday. This is something that Selena Robinson has been doing every week. And it's really helpful, not just to, to have orders of government talking to each other, but to be, compare notes. So I'm talking to the guy from Newfoundland every week. I have a better understanding of their challenges. I can be more uh, thoughtful in my interventions when we talk about things that affect Newfoundland or Quebec or Ontario. Similarly, uh, okay. You know, the, the mayor of Prince Rupert can have a better understanding of what's going on in Port St. John if we're talking together every week. So I think we're going to see a lot more of this going forward. Thanks for your time. Take it easy, man.